Welcome to Sisters in Stoke. I'm your host, Megan Burks, a certified professional coach specializing in ADHD and embodiment practices, steel mace flow enthusiast, and recovering perfectionist whose life has been guided, for better or for worse, by the motto, let's fuck around and find out. On this podcast, I interview women and those who identify as women who have done just that and whose honesty, bravery, vulnerability, and curiosity have helped them find their stoke, the thing that lights them up and has shaped their relationship with their body, their spirit, and the world around them. I share the stories that inspire me so that you too can find your stoke. Hello and welcome back to the Sisters in Stoke podcast. My name is Megan Burks and I am your host. I have with me today a woman who is like the poster girl for this (laughs) podcast because this podcast, for anyone who's listening, knows that it is about adventure and stories in all of their forms and living a really big, juicy life. Um, so I have with me today Marissa Inhofer, who grew up in Yankton, South Dakota. Her mom always told her she was never meant for a small town, and she made a quick exit as soon as she turned 18. After a stint in Anaheim, California, and another at South Dakota State University, she made her way to Minneapolis, where she attended massage therapy school and occupational therapy school. During her time in Minnesota, she played roller derby for 10 years, captaining her home team, the Atomic Bombshells, winning the Golden Skate, and playing on the All-Star Travel Team. During this time, she also trained for and had three professional MMA fights. After graduating OT school, she sold everything she owned and moved to New Zealand for a year where she traveled and taught derby boot camp. When it was time to leave New Zealand, she headed to the next best thing, Honolulu, Hawaii, She went on a one-year trial and stayed for 10. She has summited Mount Kilimanjaro, traveled solo to over 10 countries. She has also taught CrossFit, corporate fitness, and yoga. She now resides in Colorado, where she is a whitewater rafting guide, a proud auntie, and a certified occupational therapy assistant. She is a lover of life, travel, adventure, dance, and dogs. Marissa, welcome to the podcast. And tell me, what has got you stoked? these days well first I'll apologize I do love dogs those are the dogs you hear screaming in the background (laughs) they decided to start wrestling each other so if you hear weird sounds that's what you're hearing that's okay uh what's got me stoked right now yeah I would say I just got off my whitewater season so I'm still pretty stoked on whitewater uh the new goal is to kind of put my head down and work and I am working towards doing van life so I am super stoked on kind of making that transition from a regular apartment living into a van that sounds really exciting because I can imagine obviously having a rental property and having to find a place to live especially in the current circumstances I know both in America and here in Australia it's a massive rental crisis That must be quite stressful when you want to be in a position where you can just kind of go where you want to go next. It's been a little bit hard because I recently, I was like, well, I want to spend the winter in Honolulu because I hate being cold and it's cold here. Um, So I was trying to figure out if I could make that happen, but it's just, it's nearly impossible if I want to kind of align myself with that goal. 
I was spending money on two places to pay rent because I'd still have to pay my rent here and then I'd have to pay rent there. So it was just like, it's not going to happen this year, but ideally that's the goal is to get the van life going so that if I do want to go disappear for three months, I can park the van and peace out. I don't have to worry about double rent and what I'm going to do and blah, blah, blah. Amazing. So yeah. I had a bit of a blip yesterday or when I was thinking about this, cause it was like, how do I know you? And I'm using air quotes because I've not actually ever met you in person, but I was like, how did I find you? Cause I've been following you for a long time. So you were literally thinking the same thing before yep. we started. I am terrible at remembering how I met people yep. and the worst. <laughs> so I found you when you were still, you were Marfit Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure the word Hawaii had something to do with why I followed you because I was in a current deep ADHD obsession with all things Hawaiian. I was learning Hawaiian language. I was like reading oh, these. Yeah, no, that was, that was where I was, but it was through um, Blondage. So, yes. so it, was, it was a roller derby connection, which I kind of hadn't put together. Something that's been really fascinating for me is seeing these connections that I made in roller derby, which I only played for one year and it was, 13 years ago it was a long time ago but yeah. that that was how I'd stumbled upon your content and I have stayed because <laughs> your content is fun I get to live vicariously through some of your adventures and I'm very much in alignment with your political values your personal values which you do share on your page because I that do is and I get a lot of people who are like why would you share that or what do you like you know, little messages. And I'm like, I share it because it's important to me. Like, there's no, like I yeah. read the quote or the thing and I'm like, that strikes a chord with me. I'll share it. Like, there's no other motivation behind it other than like, yeah, fuck yeah. Support women, you know, like yeah. or whatever the thing is where people are like, oh, why did you share that thing? Yeah. What and it, it's certainly <laughs> for me is every time I do share something of any kind of a political nature and you watch some of those followers drop off. Um, and I just think, bye, good riddance. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't really need you here, you know? Yeah. Okay. So I want to go back to the very beginning because your, your life path is not dissimilar to mine. There's obviously huge differences there, but it's been one of the questions I sometimes get was like, did you have a plan or have you always just been, uh, I'm just going to jump in and trust that this is going to work itself out for the better kind of person. Uh, I have what I call outlines. I like, I so, love this. <laughs> outline, air quotes, outline. Um, a lot of what, you know, even from the beginning, I think that I've just been very open to seeing what happens if I walk through the door Yep. Um, and being like, I want to do this thing. How do we make it happen? Or, you know, like, um, oh, I forgot to put that in my bio last two years ago. I rode my bike 1700 miles from Canada to Mexico with yeah. my dad, wow. my support. And that was just something that like, my dad had just retired and he wanted to do some camping and wanted to go to some national parks. And I, can I swear? I like, I oh, absolutely. I okay. I fucking hate driving. I hate being in a car. <laughs> I hate it. So, and I was like, what if I rode my bicycle and you drove your car? And he's like, yeah, why not? So like, things like that just kind of snowball. And then I bought the book and we started planning and it was going to happen. And we picked our dates and like, I feel like I just like things like that are like, let's see what happens. So then, you know, we, we go from there. Um, as far as like I, before New Zealand, I had done a fair amount of international travel and had spoken with a friend who'd spent 
he has been everywhere. So I was just like, Hey, what do you think about New Zealand? And he's like, if you go spend as much time as you can there. Yeah. So I kind of went in that rabbit hole of like, okay, what can I do? How long can I be there? I applied for a work visa, got all that sorted. And again, you just kind of snowball with these ideas and sometimes they fail and sometimes they don't work out. And sometimes the doors close or I walk through that door and I'm like, hell no. No, so not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> we're going to try it and we're going to give it our best, but it's not going to work out. So I feel like there's a little bit of, obviously there's some planning in there, but a lot of it is like, Hey, let's go see what's over there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I mean, people here, I probably say this every episode, but just a reminder to everyone listening, the tagline for this podcast is I interview women who are willing to fuck around and find out like, oh, that, yeah. like that is <laughs> it's very much how I've lived my life with sometimes great outcomes and sometimes really disastrous consequences but I've learned from those disasters right and I feel like people are so afraid to fail and uh I mean I can't say that I'm of course I'm afraid to fail I'm afraid to fall on my face but like if you don't try you never know you know and if you take those chances and you don't fuck around and find out then you never find out and the lessons that you learn even in failure are so I think more important than anything I've learned in success. Like you don't learn from winning. You don't learn from success. You learn from falling on your face. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I have so many questions. I'm just, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your derby experience because, um, you know, so I played roller derby for Soce. I played for one year. It was, it was a short stint. And, but that was, you know, it was right when uh, Whippet, came out and everyone was like oh my god derby and you know there's this massive surge in it and those friendships have become so important to me how did you get into derby and just for people listening who don't know what roller derby is because there may be a few of you it is a full contact sport played on roller skates um were you playing flat track or bank track flat track yeah flat track so How did you find out about Derby? How did you get into it? Because for some people, it, you know, it kind of appears on the periphery and they're like, and then other people are like, oh my God, I don't know how I've existed this long without this sport in my life. So what, what was your experience with it? Um, I had lived in, well, in college at SDSU, my one year, well, I call it a year of paying a lot of money to drink. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I grew up with a brother who was a state champion wrestler, like being physical yeah. is something that I've always kind of had in my life. Um, so I tried out and made the rugby team my freshman year in college and played rugby for that season or year. Uh, it was a new sport for me. So it wasn't something I was really good at. It's something that you're learning. Um, and then I had moved from SDSU up to Minneapolis and I was oddly enough, was at a sex shop with a friend of mine who was looking for a feather boa for something and we couldn't <laughs> find it. And we're like, I bet a sex shop will have them. Don't ask me why. It was like kind of an event, but some of the roller girls were there. Yep. And I just ended up chatting with one of the founders of MNRG and she's like, you should totally come try out. I think you'd really love it. Uh, I mean, I had roller skated as a child, but it wasn't yep. anything like that. Like I was like, yeah, I'm a roller skater. I, you know, I went to the roller skating rink on Friday nights with my friends and then had anxiety and would call my mom and be like, oh, pick me up. Yeah. Um, 
So I ended up talking to her and I was like, yeah, why not? Like I just moved here. Like sounds super cool. I really didn't know what I was. A lot of times I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. Which How my- good is that? Because like we wouldn't probably do some of these things if we oh knew what God. we were so getting into. Five water that I run like whitewater rafting. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's go. And then we do it. And I'm like, what the fuck were you thinking? But like, you're in it. You can't get out of it unless nope. you do it. You're like, well, well we're going to do it. Um, so I had ended up, I had a pair of like the rental brown skates with the old <laughs> wheels from the like skating rinks. I don't know how I obtained those. I think I found them at a thrift shop or something and tried out in those. My feet were like bleeding by the end of tryouts, but I made tryouts and kind of like flourished. Like I really feel like I played sports, you know, growing up, but I was kind of always tall and lanky and wasn't really good at anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think once I found my confidence in derby like I just bloomed and I fell in love with it and I loved the community I loved the women I skated with um and then kind of just built up from there so you know being a rookie you do all the rookie bullshit and then you know worked my way up into you know being on the board and then captaining my team and making it to the all-star team and it just was something that I played until I left Minneapolis and then even after that I did the year in New Zealand where I kind of taught the boot camps and then moved to Hawaii. And I played for about two years with them. Um, unfortunately, at the time, Hawaii is very different. It's very lax. It's very show up if you want to. And I'm a, like, if you're going to play, show up on time and practice. If you want game time, show yeah. up. Don't show up to game day and be like, I want to play, but you have no idea what's going on. So that um, kind of environment, I was just like, you know what? I've played long enough. I think I'm good. So I kind yeah. of retired at that point. So I had probably played for about 12 years. So when you were in New Zealand and you were teaching those boot camps, was that, was it still a very new sport in New Zealand at that point? Yeah. 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 Because it was, yeah. I mean, it was here as well. Like there was so many, we had so many amazing development opportunities happen. And I, it's funny, like every so often I think, oh, maybe I should go back to Derby, you know? And then I think of the training commitment and the hours that go into it and the injuries oh. and everything else. And I'm like, oh God, no, maybe not. Um, but what I found so incredible about Derby was for me, it was really the first time that I had a positive experience in a group of women. Yes. You know? And there was, and yeah, and, and there was negatives there. I mean, there was, there was lots of, I, mean, I feel like you get that many strong headed women in one spot. There's going to be, it's, we're not only rainbows and butterflies. Absolutely not. And I, you know, positive outweigh the negative, you know, I think maybe towards the end, I was like, you know what? I just don't want to deal with the drama anymore. I'm done. Yeah. 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 And I think that's where I ended up. And I'd gone through a really personally challenging year in the year that I was playing and training But for me to have this experience, because I came from a bit of a a dance background and I did ballet and, you know, there was always competition within the dance world. And it was always a lot of people competing for very few spots or roles. And I'm I'm a tall, big boned woman. So ballet back then especially was never going to be my thing. And then to find this group of women who came from such diversity of backgrounds and such a diversity for me something I found really positive is that there was very athletic women that I was playing with who had this history of sporting you know and they they played a lot of sports and they trained for a long time and then there was people like me 
who actually is quite athletic, but never enjoyed sports as a kid Mm -hmm. because I couldn't deal with any kind of rejection or criticism was not open to feedback ever. Cause it basically at that point in my life, if I couldn't do it perfectly, I didn't want to do it, (laughs) you know? And so to then create this, to be part of creating a culture and managing some of those relationships and then getting to be the person that literally travels to the other side of the world and is like, hey, I want to give you all this gift. That must have been incredible. It was, I don't even know how or why I, like the the point of going to New Zealand was not for roller derby. It was no. just to, I had graduated school. I had, I wanted to travel. I literally opened the door to my apartment. I put everything that I wanted to take with me in a corner and said, take what you want. There's a donation bin on your way out the door. And it was like a literal house sale. Um, <laughs> but I went with the idea of traveling. And then, I don't know, I think I had just reached out to a league. And and it was around, I think, 2010. Yep. And it was just roller derby was starting to, you know, get some grip there. And there were very new leagues. And I was like, this is who I am. This is who I've skated for. This is, you know, my background. And they're like, yes. And so I think it just kind of started with one league and kind of snowballed from there. And it was honestly probably to this day one of the best things I've ever done and Blondage is still one of my absolute best friends yeah Blondage um, what's up we gotta make sure she listens to this episode (laughs) and visited her this year and uh helped her out with the new little one for about a month and just hung out and she's such an incredible person okay we're gonna start gushing about her and it's gonna turn into a podcast she she's amazing um and you know that's just one of those people my interactions with her in person would have been very few and far between we didn't play for the same league so it was only when they were kind of starting and they would come and skate with us um and I remember her starting out I remember her saying to me once you know like oh I'm so intimidated by you on the track and I was like what and then it was like you know two sessions later and the tables had fully turned and I was like okay now I'm the scaredy cat one um because I actually didn't enjoy the contact you know which is is uh a bit of a barrier when you're playing a full contact sport you know (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) so then what was what was the I mean I don't want to say why Hawaii because like why not Hawaii obviously like it's why wouldn't you want to go to Hawaii but what was the the plan at that point was it just I'm just going to Hawaii and let's see what happens or was there something there lined up for you it was uh I fell in love with New Zealand island life culture the mm. people everything about it like it still has my heart um and I was kind of I did not want to go back to Minneapolis granted I I loved that city but I had been there for you know seven to ten years um and I really just wanted to kind of continue that so I was like well Honolulu is a U.S. state I can work there they're English speaking I can use my degree because that was the other issue in New Zealand is as a new grad from Kota school I couldn't work there as a no. position. I could go back now and advocate for myself after doing it for so long. But in that time, I was like, I don't know anything. I'm a new grad. The position was, you know, being a foreigner. I was like, well, this is my next next best thing. So I was like, I'll try it for a year and see what happens. And I feel like the island either chews you up and spits you out or it embraces you. And, you know, I feel like I definitely got embraced. I found you know, work that I needed. I found housing pretty much immediately. I have this wonderful friend base. We ended up opening a gym there. Like it has been absolutely wonderful. So that's kind of how I ended up in Hawaii was it was just, 
at that point in my life, the next logical step. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So something I want to touch on because it's, it's, it's the content that I follow you for to some extent is that, you know, you do advocate for movement and you advocate for fitness and those, those can be, um, they can be tricky conversations sometimes because, you know, as, as a movement coach as well, you and I both know that sometimes when we talk about the benefits of movement for people who are not in a place where that is a part of their life, it can feel like a criticism mm -hmm. or a judgment, you know, but one of the things I think we can all agree on is that movement and maintaining a level of fitness is important for human beings yeah. to do. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think we can question that how no. you move. I mean, those are all things that are up for debate. Um, and one question I'm always really curious to ask people I know who I look at and I'm like, oh, they're so fit, you know, have you had periods where you've moved away from that kind of training in your life and then come back to it? Or has that been a real constant for you? I, uh, it's ebbed and flowed. Yep. I got pretty full into the CrossFit scene. I mean, I owned a CrossFit gym. I was a coach at CrossFit gym. That was my life. Yep. Uh, but it ebbs and flows. I was competing at that time. So it was pretty full on. And I have since, you know, I've, I'm a little bit older now, so I'm not going as intense, but I, I feel that for women, resistance training is oh. key. I don't care how you do it. Like, I think there's a lot yep. of arguments about like, this is the best thing. And this is the best thing. And this is the best fitness regimen. And kind of similar to what you just said, it's like, it's finding what works for you. Yep. Because if I tell you to go, you know, to a kickboxing class, but kickboxing isn't your thing, you're not going to want to do it, you know, but if you find yeah. love in yoga, fine, go do that, you know, but I think that uh, having a balance of those things, but having resistance training in that for women is massive, especially as we age, mm -hmm. we start to lose strength, we start to lose bone density, you know, keeping all of that strong is so, so key. And I think one of the things that I I work a lot with the elderly, so I see a lot of what happens to people when they don't continue to yeah. move their body. And I see what happens to people in older age who have had an, an active lifestyle. And yeah. again, it's not like, oh, cycling's the best or you know, CrossFit's the best or whatever. It's just an active lifestyle across the board. Their bodies function and their brains so much better. Yeah. So I kind of relate that back to my life. And I'm like, I don't lift for me now. Yes, I get really great benefits right now, but I lift for future Mar because I don't want her to be some fragile old woman who can't take a bag of dog food up some stairs. Yeah. Or can't do the things I enjoy because I don't have the fitness level to do it. Can't get off the toilet. That's my <gasps> big motivator. The thought of having to be like, can someone help me off the toilet and having to like sit on a toilet until someone can come and help me. I'm like, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. As an occupational therapist, that's what I do. So yeah. like helping people on and off the toilet is a huge part of my job and like yep. reteaching people those skills. But again, when you see those people who've had active lifestyles, those, you know, healing stints are much shorter and they're Absolutely. much stronger and move much better versus somebody who sat on the couch and was a desk worker and didn't do anything. Their body's just like getting off the toilet is, a max assist lift on my end, you know? Yeah. It's pretty crazy. So I, I advocate for women definitely to find something that you enjoy 
that has resistance training because it is so imperative to aging and keeping your body healthy. Uh, and for like, you know, for me as a, as a coach watching, watching women lifting heavy shit. Oh <laughs> my God. And, you know, and CrossFit. So CrossFit for me, I never competed. I loved it. And that was actually, it was almost like a, a natural like derby was kind of that first experience with like, oh, what can my body do as opposed to what does my body look like? Because that had been very much my obsession my whole life. And then CrossFit was like this next step. And for me, CrossFit was when I realized like, I'm strong as fuck. Like yeah. I had no idea this big chunky body of mine, like the muscles and what I can lift when I, and you know, now I'm really obsessed with kettlebells at the moment. I'm a steel mace flow coach. I do rope flow. I'm swimming, I'm surfing, but all of that fitness now has become, has left me able to explore these different kinds of things, which is certainly the position that you are in because you still, so I want to hear about the dancing because I love, I love watching you dance. And one of the things I really love about social media at the moment, because let's be clear, there's a lot of things I don't love. My feed is heavily curated especially at the moment um seeing this balance between the strengths and then the dance you know which when you think about those things it, they can almost seem like they're opposed but they're not because oh. it's giving you this foundation and then the dance is where you actually get to play with your body and explore this movement so have you always been a dancer no, I found dance, gosh, I don't know how many years ago now. It was a time in my life where I had just separated from a long-term partner and I had gone actually, I think to Australia, uh, just for a trip, I think travel around, see blondage, whatever. And I was sitting on the train and I was like, I have always loved dance. Um, I mean, I danced when I was a kid, but we did like, you know, the jazz and you had the awkward haircuts and the horrible costumes, <laughs> but I was never a dancer. Um, so sitting on the train, I was like, you know what? When I go home, I'm going to look up dance classes and I'm going to take them. Yep. So I got home and I ended up, you know, Googling and I found um, salsa bachata. And I took a couple classes there and it it was fun, but it didn't like light my soul on fire. It was like, okay. Uh, and then I ran into my Zook teacher who he was there, I think probably recruiting. He's like, you should come try Zook. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Did my first Zook class with them and instantly fell in love. So tell like, us what Zook is, because a lot of people probably have never heard that term before. Uh, Zook is a Brazilian dance, uh, couples dance. And then it's based out of Lombata, I believe. It's so it's a very close, can be very sensual dance, but also can be very fiery and beautiful. Yeah. And there's a lot of head movement and like body rolls. I think when people see it from the outside, like the first time they're like, I've literally had friends be like, you're just humping each other's legs. Like, yeah, so to music. Like, great. Yeah, feels great. Well, I have a hug for four minutes. What's the problem? Um, <laughs> so it, Zook to me, there's such a spectrum in Zook. Like it can be a very, like a micro movement dance where you look at two dancers on the dance floor and they literally just look like they're breathing together, which you can do. And then you can see mm -hmm. other dancers who are just doing these beautiful head movements and all of this big movement. And it has both. So I instantly fell in love with it. And it's been something, again, you ebb and flow. Like when I first fell in love with it, it was like head over heels, traveling all the time to go to Congresses, taking every class that I could. And now I feel like the scene has shifted a little bit similar to kind of how Derby, you know, was. The scene kind of started to shift. 
and I still love dancing, but I still, I don't take as many classes and I'm not spending as much money traveling to go to congresses. Cause I think that, I mean, again, uh, I don't like staying up late. So. No, me either. But it's like 10 o'clock rolls around. Like people are just showing up to the social and I'm like, I'm going to bed. See you guys yeah. later. Yeah. So that love has started to shift a little bit, but I, I mean, I went social dancing last week and you know, there was some really lovely leads there and it was a really wonderful time. So it's always just like, I love it. Eh, it's okay. I love it. Eh, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I do really, again, advocate for people to move their bodies outside of just the linear planes, right? So I think yes. a lot of fitness regimens are very linear, CrossFit yep. being one of them. You only move in these very specific patterns. Up, down, back, so, forth. Up, yeah. yeah. Very. <laughs> so I, again, as a yoga teacher and movement coach, really love to teach people that your body is amazing and it can move in so many different ways. And for me, like you kind of said, dance is a way to express that. And um be present and in your body and I think being um I never really did solo dance I think my next adventure might be tango that sounds interesting oh to my me. gosh beginner ballet I'm like well, why not <laughs> why not indeed so you know just watch your hips if you do ballet because it can be real hard on those with the turnout yeah um <laughs> I think what you just said as well about, about dance I think dance and I think that flow-based activities, the reason I'm so passionate about those is because you are introducing people to this multi-plane movement, which is, mm -hmm. again, if we're looking at our fitness and our training as a way to prolong our longevity and our physical independence, like when you fall down on the ground, you're not like, okay, I'm going to just get up this one way. You need to be able to find strength in a variety of positions, sometimes unexpected. Um, but the, the more spiritual side, I guess, of it is watching women learning to take up space mm -hmm. with their bodies. And when you dance and when you engage in these activities where you stop thinking about how you're doing it and you actually just allow your body to have the control over the movement and you can kind of turn the brain down a little bit. I think that's a pretty magical moment. And I think it's hard for some people. Oh, it's hard for me still. Yeah. 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 You really got to focus on like just letting all of that go and the judgments of yourself and those kind of thoughts that come in about like, what do I look like? You know, who's watching and all of these other things where it's just like, I just want to be here and be present and be in this moment with this person in this dance, you know, and, and make, have this like beautiful conversation with another human being through yeah. and not necessarily words. Which is just so amazing. So, so on the flip side of dance, I know I'm going back and forth all over the timeline here. <laughs> I want to hear about the MMA fights. <laughs> because when I was in university, I wanted to get into boxing and there was this one gym and there was no women that trained there and they were all very reluctant. And then I was allowed to train there. And then during my first ever sparring session, somebody punched me in the face, as you do when you're like boxing, it happens. And I started crying. And that was the end of my boxing career and it never went any further. So that was no. a, you know, that was a very failed attempt. It was just one of those things. It was like, I actually don't want to get punched in the face uh, yeah. as an MMA fighter. That's going to happen. So, yeah. so why am I'm just so fascinated? Like why <laughs> MMA and what was that uh, like? That's huge. So my brother uh got into MMA rather early and his career was quite he 
was on the um reality show and he was really good yeah wow. um I at the time ended up I had been playing derby for a while uh I think it was actually towards the end of my derby-ish careers last five or so years um I dated this guy who was a fighter and he was like hey you should come train with us sometime and I was like nah that's silly he's like no come train come train so I trained with them for about a year it was just out of our coach's garage it's very underground um, I was the only woman. And then I, one of the other fighters wife, she was a fighter, but she was not there regularly. Yeah. She's a beast. Um, so I trained with mostly men and having trained for almost a year, you know, like I didn't, I don't know how recent you're sparring, you know, like, like hey, first class. yeah, yeah. You know, like he very much like built, like it was a slow progress into getting punched in the face. You know, it's yeah. not like your first training, you know, beat her up. Um, I actually hate stand up fighting. I hate it. I will. I am so much more comfortable on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I think come, comes from having that older brother who, you know, I wrestled my whole life. Yeah. My mom would one of him. She's like, you're a state champ wrestler who can't pin his little sister, which, I love this. you know, later in life, I found women are so much more flexible than men in general. So yep. in a position where a man would tap out, I would just like move my shoulder and wiggle out. And he's like, what the hell did you just do? Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I ended up training for about a year and my coach is like, Hey, I think you should fight. And I was like, nah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so he kind of dropped it and then kind of, you know, brought it up. And then my, I was like, all right, let's do it. Why not? Uh, so my first fight I can't remember the venue, but it was just massive. And I like, so sitting in the sauna with my brother the like night before and just like, I don't know what we were talking about, but I started to like, try not to cry. So I got like, I call it the chin wiggles. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, sir. And he's like, you can cry. And I was just like, <laughs> because it's very much a mind fuck to get into a cage with another human being where you're like, it's either he's trying to hurt you. Yeah a thousand people watching, you know, and I, I, Derby was okay because I feel like I had, you know, 20 other women on the court with me or 10 other women on the, on the track with me. So it wasn't just me, yeah. you know, nobody was watching just me. They were watching the group of people and I hate being watched, which is so bizarre for somebody who does the things I do, but it just makes me nervous. And so you're in a cage being watched by a thousand people, you know, like they're not looking at anybody else. Um, so my first fight, I, you know, you train and you, you get in this mental headspace and I won the fight in 33 seconds. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. And then I was just like, what, what do we do now? Like, is that it? So you train for months. Yeah. For that it's over done. Uh, and my coach before your fight, I still credit him to this day for doing what he did, but he, he would make you do what he called eating a half. So it was a half an hour of you versus a fresh fighter about every minute or a minute and a half. Wow. So you go. And, and again, I trained with mostly men, so they would come in and pick me up, throw me on the ground, punch me in the face a couple of times, get up somebody else. But you did that because he would, he's like, you hit rock bottom. And you think that you can't keep going, but you have to stand back up because somebody else is going to come in that ring and go after you. So it was a very hard physically and mentally thing to do. But I think that that set you up for success in the cage because you knew that you had to get back up. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, after that first fight, the, my brother, I think it was my brother. Somebody was like, it's post-fight depression Yeah, because you worked so hard for 33 seconds. Yeah. And then it's <laughs> over and you're like, oh, what now? Oh, okay. So now, so I had, um, a second fight with a, that fight should have never have happened. That woman outweighed me by 50 pounds. So if it was a man's fight, that never would have happened. The promoter was like, we'll just pay you extra. Uh, you're the only women's card on or the only women's fight on this card. And so we talked about it. My coach is like, you don't have to do it, but you know, we're here. Yeah. Um, so that fight, she was a Greco wrestler. She outweighed me by 50 pounds. I think it was the first or second round. She actually headbutted me in the face, which is illegal. Um, that should have disqualified her immediately, but it didn't again, because they wanted to see us keep fighting. So I went three rounds with her. Uh, she couldn't submit me or anything like that, but she did just toss me around the ring. Um, so she ended up winning by decision. My coach ended up taking that video and sending it to somebody in the UFC uh, and he's like, nah, that should have never happened. A and B that's, that's a blatant headbutt. She should have been disqualified. Um, cause it was, yeah. So I had two black eyes. It was quite wonderful. Swollen face. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> my poor mother. Um, and I think my third fight was probably my best. She was like the best opponent I had, I had fought. And, uh, it was really cool. I think it's still somewhere out there. It's called the breakout. It's an all women's card. Megumi Fuji was on it. She's an amazing I think Japanese fighter. Um, it was on Netflix for a hot minute, but I can't find it anymore. But every now and again, I get messages from people being like, we found your fight. And oh my gosh, I'm, I want to see it. It must be on YouTube somewhere. Surely. I don't know how that one, but I'm like, um, so she was my third. It was all women's card. And it was wonderful because I had this like huge section of roller girls yeah. in the audience because it was a private event. It wasn't in this big arena. Um, so it was a smaller crowd, you know, they set up the rings or the, the ring and then the, the bleachers, but I like the roller girls took up half the arena. <laughs> yeah. So amazing. So they're just all like, miss fit, miss fit, miss fit. So it was just wonderful. Like having all the support. She was a really solid fighter. Like that fight was actually really good. Um, she was a bit more of a stand-up fighter. I'm a bit more of a ground fighter. Uh, it's somewhere in the ether out there, but I ended up beating her, I think in the second round to technical knockout, she tapped two strikes. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so then that, and, and then you're like, okay, I'm done with this now. Like what's next or what, I, what happened? So I had been doing, I'd been training for a few years. And again, like I just kept getting more and more into it. So like the trainings, you know, I would be doing two a days yeah. with MMA and then train derby three times a week. So like, and I was That's a massage a therapist time so yeah. it started to affect my work a little bit because I my arms were so sore my hands were so tired I would like shake um so it was kind of just like a is this something that's that's worth it to me to keep going like it was a really fun thing and I really really loved the training and and I think actually I'm starting to look uh to get back into jujitsu I just really love being able to physically take care of myself like yeah if you're try to harm me, you're going to have to put up with a fight. Um, like when I was in the peak of my training, I was a bartender, uh, as well in downtown Minneapolis. And you had to walk to the down this like creepy ass, like thing to get to your car in the dark at three o'clock in the morning with a handful of cash. And at like the peak of my training, I'm like, somebody mug me, come on, 
Come on, like, bring it. Let's go. Try it. See what happens. Um, it never happened. But uh, I think at that point, it was just a sit down with myself. And it was just like, I enjoy roller derby so much more than this. Yeah. As far as the MMA goes, because again, it was something where it was like, it's only you. It's a very large mind fuck um, to do that. Uh, so I kind of was just like, I can't continue to physically and mentally do both of these contact sports. Roller derby is just more fun to me. I have more of a support group. Again, it's not just me on the track. Uh, so it was kind of like, well, this was a really nice way to kind of end my my MMA career and and move on. <laughs> I love it. So so you've you've moved on and you've moved on to a couple different things, but now I really want to hear about the whitewater rafting. Because <laughs> when did you only became a guide, like you haven't been a guide for that long. Is that correct? Okay. So no. Did you go on a whitewater rafting trip and you were like, hells yeah. Like, how did this one happen? I, just tell me. Uh, um, so I had been a coda in Honolulu for about probably nine or 10 years. COVID hit. It was awful to be in healthcare at that point. Um, my family had since my brother and his wife and their daughter Waverly moved to Colorado. Uh, my um nephew was born in Colorado so my family was in Colorado uh it was just kind of hard to be a face on the screen like and not be a real person to the kids yeah so I had gone back and forth about like I want to move but I'm not ready to move full time I want to spend half time there half time in Hawaii and I honestly don't know how it came up in conversations, but one of my good friends, Alan, had been a guide for several years. And I don't know what we were talking about, but he's like, I think you should be a whitewater raft guide. And I was like, that's stupid. I Like, what? <laughs> um, I had gone on trips before. I actually did the trip in New Zealand where you raft off the largest commercially ran waterfall. And I just showed up by myself and I was like, hey, can I go on this trip? And they're like, yeah, but you got to hop in the boat with Boy Scouts and like, whatever. So like I had gone rafting in the past, but it wasn't anything that I had been like, yeah, I want a guide. Like they're so cool. I'd always enjoyed the trips. It was something fun. Uh, and then Alan was like, maybe you should like, I feel like you should look into it. I think you'd be really good at it. And so I, again, kind of dove down some rabbit holes. Uh, See, so I sent out some emails and some applications to some companies who were doing rookie training. Yep. Uh, and heard back from one of them in Fort Collins, which was really close to where my family is in Longmont. Oh my God, that's where my brother used to live. He just moved back. That's where oh, my really? nephew, my nephews were both born in Fort Collins. So they just moved back now to Canada, but that's wild. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So uh, at that time, I, I decided that I was going to leave Hawaii. I subletted my room. I talked to my roommates. They were like, cool. Um, and then I came here to do rookie training in Fort Collins, I did my training. And that again, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or it's because I'm older or because it's I've worked in healthcare for so long and I've seen consequences of stupid decisions. Yeah. Um, and I don't, like, I feel like a lot of the guides are very young kids, you know, yeah. 19, 22. Yeah. And, and you just don't have, I think, the grasp of consequences when you're that young. Like mortality, for example. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I had done my, I was in the process of finishing my rookie training and just kind of had a breakdown. I, uh, 
we had a couple of, we had one guy who swam. So um, trying to like make this short, you do 50 hours of training with a, a, a guide in your boat to learn, you know, how yeah. to move the boat, how to read the water, how to do these things. And then you have 50 hours in a boat with no senior guide. And they call those boats kamikaze boats or turkey boats. And so it's just all rookies and it's fuck around to find out because yeah. if it's, you mess it up, you fix it. But we were on a commercial trip, which is what you do. So we had the commercial trip and then our boat and some, one of the customers fell out of the commercial trip and like, we were trying to rescue him, but he was just non-responsive. He just oh. looked at me with eyes and I'm like, you need to swim to me, like screaming and pounding on the boat and nothing. So we're trying to get this guy in before the next class four, because the next class four will fuck you up. So me and another guide, uh, one of the guys was in the back steering the boat and me and another guy were trying to pull this man in. He was a big boy. Uh, we finally ended up getting him in the boat before we hit the next class four rapid, like by the skin of our teeth. And then homie in the back of the boat is also a rookie. So he's trying to basically what we call dead stick or like you, it's just you because his paddlers have been distracted and the other girl that was in the boat was absolutely useless because she was just panicking so he's oh basically God. just trying to dead stick as a rookie through his class four we made it it's fine but that scared the absolute shit out of me yeah and our rookie boat probably the next few days uh it was higher water and it was our biggest class four and he ended up hitting the top lateral wave with a little bit too much of an angle and flipped our boat at the top Oh, and God. I just remember feeling like bodies falling on me. And then you just we call it Maytag. Yeah. You're just, just getting yeah. taught. And I'm literally hitting every rock on the bottom of the river, pop up, get sucked back under, come out way down the river and like swim to shore. And I'm like spitting up water and like trying to breathe. And then we couldn't find one of our rookies. So we ended up climbing up. We're kind of on a highway. So we're running back up to the, the rapid. And we're like, where's Blake? Cause you need to account for everybody that's in your boat, right? Yeah. So we're like, where the fuck is Blake? We can't find Blake. Um, I'm starting to get a little bit like, like really panicky. Like, yeah. where is my friend? Um, he had ended up trying to save the boat and he just ended up swimming with the boat like further downriver. So then the kids downriver came up to tell us that they had Blake and it was just this big thing. And we ended up getting back in the boat and having to finish the trip. But that to me was like, I'm fine doing that to myself. I'm an adrenaline junkie. Fucking love this shit. Let's go. But it scared the living shit out of me because I'm like, I don't want to do that to somebody's mother. Yeah. I don't want to be responsible for other people. I don't people. want to be responsible yeah. for that. You know? And even the guy, the original guy who fell out, he, uh, I checked on him when we got back to the shop. I was like, hey man, you good? He's like, yeah, thanks a lot. And his daughter was there and she, and he was like, let's not tell mom. Okay. Yeah. I can imagine totally fine about it. I'm just like I can't do this like I cannot be responsible for dumbasses who don't get off their couch for a year and then show up to a river and think that they can paddle a class four yeah like so I kind of had a little bit of a breakdown and like cried for two days and you know talked to the senior guide who had been really lovely to me and like kind of walking me through everything and taking extra time with me and just being very patient and kind and I had written my bosses a message and I was like you know I love you guys but I just I cannot do this. Um, one of those senior guides ended up kind of just talking to me and he's like, look, we all feel this way. It's yeah. fucking terrifying. But no one talks about like the psychology of like what you feel as a guide. They just think that it's this like fun thing and it's terrifying. You have 
seven people's lives literally in your hands. And if they don't listen to you, like the consequences are quite large. Yeah, they're huge. And or death, death, you know? That being a little dramatic, like we don't have a lot of deaths on our river, especially commercially, but it does happen. It does happen. And other people's lives are at risk when they're trying to rescue people and everybody can be affected. So he was like, look, finish your training, check out and do one commercial trip, one. And he's like, if you want to walk away after that, I will 100% support you, but please don't quit. So I ended up going back. I did my first checkout run and failed, which was really funny because I, my friends came to town and then I was like, can I check out with my friends thinking that it would be like better? It wasn't. I like <laughs> ramped up. It was awful. I like, knew I failed within like the first 20 minutes. Like the senior guy that was in the boat with me would just looked at me and I'm like, oh, I have failed. Um, which is fine. It's good because you don't want to put people on the river that aren't ready. Yeah. So I ended up taking a second checkout run and passed, um, and then took my first commercial trip and I do. I love it. And it's very, again, a little bit of a mind fuck. Um, I'm on some forums now and I really do want to reach out and like talk to other guides and be like, how do you guys deal with this anxiety? And I know that I have anxiety. So mine is like, yeah, way up here, but just in talking to people, like it's not something that's regularly talked about, which I think should be because it's something that you have to deal with. We're like, yes, it's fun. Yes. This is an amazing job. And yes, this is great. But there's a lot of like, this is really scary. Yeah, it's you know? very glamorized. Like it's very like yeah. when I'm like if I meet someone, they're like, I'm a whitewater rafting guide. I'm like, that's hot. You know, <laughs> and like people don't. And something that you mentioned that's really important is to me, one of the downsides of adventure tourism in particular is that you do get clients who are physically deconditioned. There, I mean, there are not there there are no physical competency tests for people to even like you sign up for a hike for Kokoda I've got a friend who runs hikes in Kokoda and yes they send a thing to all the participants saying you should be able to hike this many kilometers with this heavy a pack and then people show up and they put their pack on for the first time and they're like oh I can't carry this yeah it's it's crazy to me it, absolutely crazy and like great that so many more people are getting exposed to these adventure but we've seen this especially with climbing as well with the with the big summits these people that can pay a lot of money for someone to guide them to the top who should not be on that mountain because not only are they risking their lives but they're risking the lives of everybody around them yeah we have some people like they again they'll send out like people will even be like, we didn't know we were signing up for class four. I'm like, it says it like 16 times. That's what you're paying for. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah, we get, we, I had somebody show up with a walker, like homie could hardly get in the bus. And I, and I love that we get to show people this side of adventure and the river and you don't get to see things like, you know, the, the scenery that you see, you don't get unless you're on the river. Yeah. So it's absolutely mind blowing, but I'm just like, how do you think that like, Guides are amazing because they take these people down the river safely. Like they, I'm yes. just like, oh my god, oh my, you're all are amazing. You're all amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so, it is scary. So you've gotten over. Obviously, you've gotten over some of that fear and anxiety. And it's really important to mention, like, when we talk about anxiety, because I think a, a lot of us are living with anxiety. I think it's something a lot of us didn't realize until recently what it, I didn't know I was anxious until I was in my thirties. Like I was like, Oh, I thought everyone just felt kind of sick to their stomach, like all the time. Like I thought that was normal, you know? And then obviously yeah. for me, my ADHD diagnosis gave me all this insight and context. And I was like, Oh, cool. Okay. And like my nervous system screwed and you know, all this work started to unfold. 
But when we're anxious and when we're uncomfortable, we have a choice to avoid the things that make us anxious and uncomfortable, which sometimes is healthy. Like sometimes you need to avoid people or places or like there are times that it is no longer safe for you to put yourself into a certain environment with certain people. I get that. Or we can expose ourselves to situations in which we're going to have to learn to deal with and manage that anxiety because the reality is, is that when we choose the avoidance route, our lives get smaller and smaller and smaller. And yes, they might get safer as well, but you end up living this bit of a tiny life, you know? Well, and, and on that note, the small and safe is like, I could literally die walking out to my car in a parking yeah. lot, you know, you can take a blind corner and take me out. And yes. you just don't know and yes with the adventure side like yes there's that fear and that anxiety but you need it to do those things because it makes you very focused and and someone told me like the moment that you're not nervous getting on the river you shouldn't get on. shouldn't be on the river absolutely not that's when mistakes happen that's when people don't check gear they don't check equipment they don't pay attention same in climbing yeah Yeah. so it's uh like you said like I don't want to live this small safe life because then I don't get to experience anything and lord knows I could fall down the stairs and break my neck like you just yeah. have no so being able to kind of push past that space of I'm scared shitless and granted I boat with very safe people I make very safe decisions I don't drink when I'm on the river I yeah. you know like there are things that I try to do I take you know I'm I took a whitewater swift water training so that I know that if something goes wrong, I can try to fix it. Yeah. You know, like I don't want to have to depend on somebody else. I want to know and I want to have those skills. So like taking those steps to kind of mitigate that space of like, I'm super anxious and I'm scared and I've done all of these steps to be here and I can do this, you know, and I can do this scared. <laughs> yeah, we can do, we can do it. Like, and this is, you know, I think what's the I think it's Brene Brown probably the quote is something oh no it wasn't I don't know who it was but you know courage is not the absence of fear it's continuing to move forward with yeah. our fear and I same she was like how do you do all this stuff you know you're just so brave and I was like girlfriend I'm scared shitless yes 90% of the time she's like you are I'm like yes she's like I didn't know that I'm like yes I'm terrified well this doesn't me from doing those things because I love them and that that feeling of that adrenaline rush like like I said earlier it sets my soul on fire like I love it and this is this is why I wanted you on this podcast because (laughs) this is really like the epitome of this podcast is encouraging women to go for that thing that lights them up And for some people that might be crocheting, for some people that might be applying for a crazy job, for some people that might be moving across the world or becoming a raft guide or, you know, like that's, I'm not here to judge what it is that extends your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. But what you just said that is so important is that don't wait until you feel ready and not scared because that's never going to fucking happen. And from my perspective, (laughs) if you don't feel scared, it's not a big enough goal. Right. like you need this is where so you got you got a tattoo I think it was earlier this year or maybe last year that says comfort is a slow death yes which I, I remember sending I think I probably actually sent you like an embarrassingly emotional vulnerable message about like, no comfort you know I don't know I think it was like a voicemail <laughs> or something because I agree yes and I have gotten very good in my life through practice 
at feeling quite uncomfortable because I choose and I seek out and I put myself into positions where I can feel uncomfortable. I manage the risk. I do the assessment. I've got kids to think, you know, like there's all of those kinds of things. It's probably less physical stuff now. It's more emotional vulnerability, which is like, fuck, put me up a rock wall any day instead of making me have right. a conversation where I have to Don't tell make me tell you about my feelings. Don't make me tell you that you hurt my feelings or accept responsibility for hurting yours. No, thank you. I'm going to tap out of right. that one. But for people who are listening to this, because I do think, I think we have a problem with comfort. I think comfort is a, is a, I think it's a bad thing to some extent. Um, there, there are comforts we should all have access to a roof over our head. We should all have yeah. food to eat. You know, there are, there are social needs that need to be met. There are physical needs that should be met. But beyond that, we are a species that evolved because we pushed ourselves out of our comfort zones and we were exploring mm-hmm. and we were curious. And now we live in this world where people can wake up in this temperature controlled environment and the food is all there for them and they can get in their temperature controlled car and they can, you know, I was reading a statistic the other day and it was something like, I don't know which, I think it was an American one, but they were talking about how kids can't like, they can't handle temperature variants anymore because they've never been too hot and they've never been too cold. Like it's just, it's not something their bodies are adapting to crazy because they're not experiencing it. So so for people that are listening to this and, you know, I know for a fact, some of them listen to it, they're rugged up on their sofa and they've got their hot cup of tea or their glass of wine. And they're like, my comfort, mm-hmm. what would you say to them? Um, I just, again, comfort is just, it's a slow death. It really yeah. is. And it, and it, like you said, like we used to be as a species so much hardier. Yeah. And now like you ask somebody to, you know, walk up a hill carrying a backpack or even walk up the stairs in your apartment. I live mm-hmm. on the third floor, there's no elevators, you know, and people are just like, oh my God, I'm not going to rent that apartment because I don't want to walk my groceries up that up those stairs, you know, and it's just kind of evaluating in your life. And then, like you said, there's nothing wrong with comfort. And I understand that my lifestyle is not for everyone. Yeah. And then I'm a little bit I think I'm like a regular normal person. And then I talk to people and they're like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm like, what? You don't just do it. They're like, no, no. Um, it's just kind of evaluating in your life and finding what, like, like I'm terrible at remembering what book and who said it, but it, micro adventures, you know, yeah. like. Is that Alistair Humphreys? What's that? I think it might be Alistair Humphreys wrote micro adventures. Anyways. I yeah. Think- but yeah, like finding something like last weekend, my partner and I, we went camping and everything went wrong and it was windy and cold and hilarious and neither of us slept and our, my jet boil got knocked over and all of the butane leaked out. And so in the morning we wanted hot drinks. We couldn't because I couldn't start up. So he started a fire and we, you know, yeah. boiled our water in the fire and had skills, but we both were just laughing the whole time. Cause we're like, this is hilarious. It's totally uncomfortable, but it's one night you know? Yeah. And pushing yourself out of those comfort zones again is where you learn the most about yourself and who you are. And maybe you're like, I hate this micro adventure. Cool. Don't do it again. Yeah. You know, maybe your micro adventure is taking your dog for a walk in a different neighborhood or a different park, or, you know, maybe taking a different hike, but we get so sedentary and so set in these rhythms and in these habits that we do the same damn thing 
every day in and out. And you just never explore what your body can do or, you know, and your what... brain. It's so bad for our brain <laughs> to be stuck in these greased grooves. Like that, our brains are dying when our we're not having to, to think of new things. Challenged and your body was made to move. Like, I just don't like, again, like people, again, you just kind of get stuck there and it's, and you're comfortable and it's okay. And you're making money and you can pay for the things that you like and you're leading this life, but then you kind of sit back and maybe take a bigger view of like, what have you done recently? That's new. Like when's the last time you've done something that scared you or when's the last time I think I posted something the other day, like when's the last time you've done something that you're bad at? Like yeah. I go to classes all the time. I'm like, I went to this, like kind of dance fitness class. I don't know what it was. It was really weird, but it was terrible. I mean, I'm a dancer and I can move my body, but I was trying to like follow it. I was like, this is weird. I could kind of just did my own thing, but it was like, I'm really bad at this, but it was so fun because it was a different way to move and a different way to think. And like, but when's the last time you did something that you were bad at and let yourself be bad at a new skill, you know, because people are just like, well, I'm good at this one thing. So I'm just going to keep doing this one thing. Yeah. And because we get praised for that. (laughs) And it's one of those things, like, I wish I could bottle that up because when people are like, oh, you just don't care what anyone thinks. I'm like, no, because I spent most of my life very concerned Mm -hmm. by what other people think. And it's just, it's just no way to live. So I'm like, I should, I care. What, what does your opinion have any weight on my life? No. You know, let's do that tomorrow. You're, you know, you really like, obviously your opinion about like, if I hurt your feelings, yes, I want to know that, but it's like, you know, you don't have a nine to five, you're not married and you don't have kids. There's something wrong with your life when it's like, that's the life I've chosen. And I love it. And I love every second of it. And it's very exciting to me and very new. And I get to wake up every morning stoked on life and not yes. be like, I have to go to work today and I'm going to work from nine to five and I'm going to get off work and I'm going to go, you know, have dinner with my family. And I'm going to do like, it's just so blocked out that there's no variance and no excitement. And it's just comfortable. And you're just kind of living until you wake up one morning and you're 70 and you're like, where'd my life go? And I didn't do anything with it. And I always wanted to climb that mountain or read that book or knit that blanket or, you know, take that theater class or sing that song in public or do these things or write that poem. But you just never took that time to kind of like, I'm going to do this thing that scares me. Yeah. And start small. Start small. It doesn't have to be anything giant. No. (laughs) You don't have to sign up to climb Kilimanjaro. You can literally go camping for one night in a tent. Yeah, in your backyard, in your lounge room. We camped in our backyard during the lockdowns, during COVID, because we just needed to get out there. Um, And I think this is where understanding, yes, we can mitigate risk. We can look at these things. We can be prepared. But what I love about outdoor adventures in particular is that you can never be fully prepared never ever like almost without a doubt some shit is gonna go down and it might be big and it might be small and it might be life-threatening or it might be really nothing at all like I've had camping trips where I've forgotten the food where I you know what I mean like those kinds of things that can happen but I do think that that keeps us resilient and adaptable absolutely because life is unpredictable mm-hmm And I think when you have those skills, it definitely translates into your life. Like if I can be resilient and adaptive, you know, out doing this outdoor adventure stuff, I can be resilient and adaptive 
in my office and I'm not going to, you know, yes. freak out at the first signs of stress. And I'm not going to let that stuff kind of take over my mind and like how I feel. I can be like, okay, well, you know, like it's fine. Like we'll figure it out. And so I think that having those skills that you can take directly from that outdoor adventure piece and applying it to your life, you know, I'm stressed out. I need to take a couple of deep breaths. I need to step Mm. away for a moment. I need to, okay, cool. Like we can, we'll figure out whatever the problem is. We'll we'll problem solve together because I know how to problem solve here. I can problem solve here. So I think that it directly applies to your life, you know, and how you handle stress is huge and how you stress the body. Yeah. And if you don't stress your body, like exercise is stress, yep. you know, running bike is stress, but if you don't stress your body and you don't stress your mind and you don't adapt to those things in a positive way, when that stress starts to come in and when, you know, the family member passes and, you know, there's some drama or whatever it is, and there's this house and like all of these things start to pile up, you're just going to collapse under it because you cannot handle stress. Yeah. So I just, I think it's imperative. And, and, and I don't think that everybody should go, you know, raft class five water or climb Kilimanjaro. If that's not for you, it's not for you. But I think, like you said, finding something that is within your realm that scares you and can stress you out a little bit in a positive way is going to immensely improve your life. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to end it on that note because I could talk to you for another like three. My husband, I look at the clock. I'm like, what time are we supposed to end? I know. I know. My husband's always like, you always say I'm aware of the time. And I'm like, this is reminding myself that I've got a commitment to keep it to a rough length. Yes. Some have gone over because I'm a talkie talker. So that's fine. Um, it has been so fun to talk to you. I am sitting here like brewing adventures in my head I'm actually camping all next week with my youngest son we're going to a homeschool camp together it's actually the first time I have camped so I used to camp alone when I was younger but with like a hike tent and I would take a loaf of bread and peanut butter and that was it and it was very simple because it was just me this is the Mm. first time I'm going and like setting up the tent and the camp with my son for a week with hundreds of other people at a homeschool camp so it's not like I'm alone out in the bush somewhere but that is an example of something like I'm a little bit nervous about it and yeah. I know I can handle my shit. And if something goes right? wrong, I will come up with a solution. Like it's fine. We'll, we'll sleep in the car it. if the tent falls down. Like it's, it's all good. You know, and honestly, yeah. you know, like when do you remember when things go right? You know, the no. memories, I'm like no. remember when the tent blew down and the bear stole our food and it was hilarious. Like you don't yes. be like, oh. Great, I don't remember it. <laughs> no, those are boring memories for me. Like when I right? think back on times where things were real smooth, I'm like, I don't even remember that because it was so no. dull. No, no, I was getting nothing from it. So, so where can people find you and how can they connect? Um, I probably Instagram right now. I do have some things that I am working on again that scare me in regards to like, I would really love to lead some retreats. I would really love to have some online classes. I'd really love to empower women in whitewater and in their bodies. Um, however, none of that is set up yet. So, uh, I would say probably Instagram is the best way to follow me. It's a little bit of a weird name because my, <laughs> I will I, link it all in the show notes anyway. So it'll be it there, got hacked, but it's underscore dot that adventure bish B I S B I S H dot underscore. Yeah. Um, love it. Yeah. So I'd say find me there, follow me there. I'll drop stuff as things kind of come out the pipeline. But again, that's a big scary jump for me. So still yeah. trying to work that stuff. And I want to follow, like, make sure you're following along because I want to see how the van life unfolds. Yes, absolutely. So right now we're putting the head down. We're working. We're saving money. We're going to do the grown-up job for a little while. 
in alignment with goal of van life. So we'll see yeah, the outlines, outlines, no goals. I the love outlines. it. I'm going to use that. I'm like, it's like a vague sensation of the direction in which I wish to move my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being thank here you. with me so today. <laughs> Thanks, Blondage, if you're listening to this as well, because <laughs> unknowingly you've connected these two people so that we could have this conversation today, which I'm feeling very inspired. I know my listeners will feel inspired. This is what Sisters in Stoke is about, is literally finding your Stoke and going after it. So thank you to everyone who's listened to this episode and all the other episodes. You guys are amazing. Keep leaving those reviews. Give me five stars. Share the podcast. It's really, really helpful for small content creators like myself um, to get this kind of a podcast out there so that we can keep sharing women's stories as they wish to share them raw unfiltered unedited and whatever it needs to be so thank you so much and i will see y'all next time thank you so much for tuning in to sisters in stoke if you've enjoyed this podcast please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends if you or somebody you know would be an excellent Stokes person, feel free to get in touch. All of the information you need is in the show notes. Until next time, I'm your host, Megan Burks, reminding you to find your Stoke.